Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Fred Fuck from long distance somehow gets it to go. We can't believe it. The hat and the glasses come off. Fred Funk with the birdie at 16. Well, well, well. Welcome into Terps on the Tee on one of those special weeks in golf. My voice just cracked. I sound like Bobby Brady because that's, that's how I, excited I am. I'm with the Hawk. Fred Funk, along with Chick Hernandez here on, uh, look, Fred, you, you got a chance to play in the Masters. I worked down there in Augusta for three years at the CBS station. I was fortunate in that they gave the local media one day a year to play the course at the end of May before they closed it down. So my recollection of it is going to be far different than you guys competing, but it's Masters week. Uh, as far as weeks go on the tour, how does that compare for you? Hey, it's the most special week in golf uh, during the whole year. I think Augusta is such an iconic place. It's such a uh, memorable place. Everybody, even if you haven't played it, haven't been there, you almost feel like you know the golf course. The coverage has gotten so good. You know the, you know the holes. Uh, they do such a great job of setting up the, the tournament. Uh, it's, it's an incredible atmosphere out there. So I think it's the best atmosphere in golf. And being a part of the tournament is, is really special. But even when you're not, uh, it's, it's a special week, just the anticipation of the week when it gets here or to get here. And then when it gets here, even on Monday, the buzz is, is uh, there already yesterday and, and showing the guys on the range and doing, doing different things and seeing the golf course for the first time and seeing how it's going to play for those guys uh, for the week, assuming Mother Nature cooperates mm -hmm. and, and doesn't bother with it too much. Uh, we'll be talking about that with uh, Bernhard this morning, but uh, unbelievable spot. And actually, the the best experience I've ever had in golf was playing in 1997. I played with Arnie and Jack in a practice round. Oh, you're kidding there. me. And it was phenomenal day. Best day I've ever had in golf in my life. And uh, it played with Ken Bass, was a mid-am champ. So uh, Ken and I took on Arnie and Jack and a little $5 Nassau. And it was, it was a blast. I shot 42, 32. Oh, I was so nervous. I was so nervous on the first three holes. I, I pull hooked it on one. I, I duck slice it on two and pull hooked it on three. And Jack came up to me. So what the hell's wrong with you? I, I said, Jack, one legend at a time, pal. I'm a little nervous. And, and I was, I was shaking in my boots and then I settled down. I shot 32 on the back and we won the back in the 18. One five dollars never got paid. Oh, wait a minute. Um, uh, so well, basically, well, Jack's a shyster. Well, Jack didn't pay me. Yeah, Jack didn't pay me. But Arnie told me he wasn't going to pay me. He said 40 years he hadn't paid him when he won. So <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great day. What was so cool was that uh, the camaraderie between those two was amazing. And it was Jack Nicholas day. So that he was being honored on every uh, well at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But from the ninth hole through 18 standing ovations as they walked up to the green and uh, them talking about their history, their rivalry, their friendship, talking about Bobby Jones, talking about uh, everybody, Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, uh, everybody, how they play the golf course, what they did on this hole certain times. It was one of those days, like you hit the record button when we're on. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a record button that day and I could replay what we talked about all day long. It just went 
it, it was phenomenal. What a great day. That's amazing. And once again, I did bury the lead. Uh, Fred mentioned it, uh, folks. Uh, Bernard Longer, the two-time Masters champion, uh, will join us a little bit later on in a few minutes here on Terps on the Tee to discuss uh, this week and his history there. He's got a, a great history there. But, my, what a story, Fred. That's just you know, Nicholas. So now we know that Nicholas is a, is a shyster. He doesn't uh, pay off his bets, which is, that's nice to know. It's going to be some breaking news here on Turfs on the D. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would, you know, I can't even imagine. And I covered both of those guys when I was, I was there from 1991 to 94. So my champ or 92. So my champions were Fred couples, Bernhard Longer and Jose Maria Olafable. Um, so, you know, I was there, uh, I'm sure, uh, I was as nervous as that was. That was the only interview I've ever been nervous for was Jack Nicholas. I think we talked about this the first time I ever interviewed Jack. Um, I called my predecessor and, and said, you know, what's the key to, to interviewing Jack Nicholas? And he said, don't ask a dumb question, because as nice as the man can be, if you ask a dumb question, he's going to look through you with his pupils and burn a hole through your chest. And I'm like, what is yeah, Don't ask like how he got to the course or, you know, what club worked. The guy's won 18 majors for heaven's sakes. He's got six green jackets. That's a stupid question. So I said, uh, okay. And so I asked a question that was about weightlifting. He had just started weightlifting for the first time really in his life. And it, the floodgates opened when I said, Jack, it's the first time you really hit the weights. Mind you, this is 92. This is six years after he's won his last masters and his last major. Um, he's not going to win again. Uh, at least I thought. Um, and he just was eight minutes of gold. He just opened up about everything. Um, and really, from the years after 86 through, I would say, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2000, in the first few rounds, first two rounds, Jack's name was on the board. That, that course was just perfect for him. And he'd rise up the board, and you'd hear the rumblings in the crowd. And you mentioned the crowd, and it's going to be, uh, I think, back this year, right? Uh, I think the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. I don't know. It's fully open, but right. it's, it, there'd be a lot of people though. The, the roars at Augusta national, once you've been there a few years, you can tell what a birdie is and where it is. And you can tell what an Eagle is and where it is just sitting on the first tee box or sitting at the clubhouse. You can hear it and know, you know, oh my gosh, that's that's an eagle on fifteen. Somebody just did it. It's an amazing experience, uh, and I can't imagine Fred playing in it. And and what folks don't know who've never been there, as pristine as it is and looks, that course ain't even close to flat. I mean, that is a hell of a walk. It really is. Uh, you have no idea that first time when I was coaching, the first time I saw the golf course, I was coaching Maryland. We played at Augusta College's mm -hmm. tournament. Mm -hmm. And it was always ended Sunday before the Masters. And on Monday, they gave tickets to the teams that wanted to stay behind and take the teams in to see a practice round. And that's the first time I saw the golf course. You can walk in there and you see that hill looking down over uh, nine and down one. Uh, unbelievable, especially down nine and, and ten. You, you just stand on 10 T. Well, next to 10 T. You couldn't get on the T. And you look down that hill and it's like, wow. It's unbelievable. So another example where TV doesn't do it justice. It's just the undulations in the greens and the uh, topography of the golf course. It's amazing. Uh, and as such, it's, it's a cathedral of golf, I think. It's, it's just really something else. How that's evolved into little Bobby Jones dream yeah. to to turn into what it's turned into is, is amazing. And it, it's kind of the ritual or the rights to spring. I think it really, uh, 
starts the year off where people start getting outside and and the people that are still a little bit snowed in up in the north yeah. they get to see the the lush greenness and the coverage of of uh the masters on tv it's really really a special place uh, so i'm gonna, so you just said something to me and that i trying to figure out how you process this so you're the golf coach at the university of maryland you've got an opportunity to take your team to augusta national to watch a little golf watch a practice round we know your story we know that you were you know you're in your heart you wanted to be on tour so what was that like and i'm sure the thought crossed your mind one day i'm playing this sucker i'm competing i mean and then and then to do it to pull it off fred it's ridiculous yeah, I was. Uh, I always thought I'd never see. I didn't want to see Augusta until I qualified for okay. it. But there's no way I was going to turn down an opportunity with a golf team to go in there. So I went in there. Yeah, I, it, I think it crosses anybody's mind. It's that's a, a college player or, or that is a pretty good player that maybe someday you'll have an opportunity to play the Masters. And I really didn't know. I didn't quite go that far. I didn't think. Uh, play the masters would be really cool. But then when I really look back and I not only played the masters 11 times that you reminded me of this morning, <laughs> uh, which I thought was 12, but that's fine. Uh, but to really think that, I mean, I still pinch myself. I still get goosebumps when I talk about that day with Arnie and Jack uh, playing with them at Augusta. I never, ever thought that would happen. That's it's, it's an amazing uh, yeah. memory. Uh, do you have any, any pictures of it whatsoever? Did you even think that? Uh, my friend does? Yeah, okay. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I should get those and I should show them sometime. Really I, I got to I don't even know what they are, but I, I guarantee my uh, friend of mine caddy for me that day. Mark didn't caddy for me that day. And uh, it it was uh, it, it was really special. And they treated my caddy. He was he was just a, a really good close friend of mine was in the gates for one day. I say, here, you want a caddy? He goes, oh, you kidding me? So, though, and they treated him great, and it, it was it was unbelievable. I uh, I often go at a tournament. I'll often um, try to trip a caddy and have him go down, and then me take over. That's my goal. Is to <laughs> I would love to caddy in the tournament. You know, I uh, for those who are listening, I once uh, caddied in a pro am for Fred Funk. That lasted about eight holes um, because his caddy Mark put a bunch of heavy stuff in the bag, and they all had a good laugh at my expense, which might be the reason I have back spasms right now. Uh, these many years later, um, I, I just <laughs> Augusta for me and, you know, going coming into working there, I was a, a golfer, not a golf addict, had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, and, you know, I would lose 11 pounds that week uh, for wall to wall coverage. So I see now that uh, Bernhard has uh, about to join us here via iPhone. So let's uh, welcome Hello. in. Good morning. Good morning. So there is two time Masters hey. champion Bernhard Longer. Good, very good friend of. Uh, Freddie Funk, Chick Hernandez here. Uh, Fred uh, Bernhard might recognize my face just a little bit from way back in the day. So, Fred, we've been talking about Augusta, and you know, I was there from '92 to '94. You were my middle champion. Uh, I had couples, you and Ola Fable, um, and local media. We were given, we were given uh, um, uh, five minutes with the champion in Butler Cabin, which you know, for a, for a local guy, I mean, for a local sports guy, it's, it's insane. You sit in that. That's all they, five minutes. That, well, that's all we needed. You know, we, you guys are very busy. You know, you had to, you had the green jacket ceremony in Butler cabin, had to go back out to the putting green and get that done as well. 
I would have taken two minutes. Um, so, but welcome to the to Terps on the Tee. You're not a Terp, but you are one of the greatest golfers uh, that we've ever known, obviously. Um, so you played this course, Bernhard, in November. How different is Augusta National this week? Yeah, November was uh, a little bit wet, uh, but also, even though the temperatures were nice and warm, uh, it just played long, it, it was wet. But the overseed hadn't quite, taken in as much as you know we we're used to perfect conditions at augusta year after year after year and november is kind of between the two grasses you know the bermuda hasn't totally died and the uh, bent grass hadn't totally come in yet so it was very very good don't take me wrong but it wasn't perfect <laughs> and uh, this year the course looks brilliant. Uh, the greens are as hard as I've ever seen them. I played nine holes yesterday, and uh, I had a hard time even keeping a six iron on the green. It it was really the you know when the greens change color, there's, there's not much green anymore. It's kind of brown and purple, and you, you know you know they're on their last leg kind of thing, and they hand water them I guess as much as necessary, but. Uh, they keep them very, very firm. If it and the, there's not much rain in the forecast. So Bernhard, if you were to predict a winning score based on really good conditions, uh, as far as weather-wise, wind-wise, and hopefully no rain, what do you think? Well, you know, it's not. It's never going to be twenty under here. It just doesn't happen. Uh, not anymore. And uh, it all depends on the wind, as you know, Fred. The uh, wind makes the biggest uh, difference for us. But, uh, you know, it's usually uh, anywhere from, what, 8 to 14 under, 8 to 12 under, some, somewhere in that range. I mean, sometimes I think it, the tournament's been won with, I, I'm not a history buff, but I think even 6 under had, had won here before. So it all depends on the, on the conditions. Sure. What, Bernard, what's your memory, all, all your experiences you've had at Augusta and, and winning twice? Uh, can you give us some fond memories you have or some exciting moments you had that uh, you could share with us that we just wouldn't know unless you told us? Yeah, well, I've, I've had a couple of crazy things happen to me uh, over the years. And uh, I'll go back to 1985, the first year I won. So I'm playing, I'm playing Saturday and I'm on the 13th hole. And I had just looked at, at the leaderboard on 12 and I'm six shots behind. Yeah, I got to do, you know, how it is. You're running out of holes, you know. So uh, I I didn't hook my tee shot enough on 13. I ended up on the right side on that hill. There wasn't much rough then, but it wasn't, for some reason, it wasn't a very good lie. So I checked my yardage, and I come up with a three-wood yardage, and I got to go over the race creek, and Peter Coleman was caddying for me at the time. And... Uh, I said to Pete, you know, I, I need three wood to get this. I said, yeah, I, I know, but look at your lie. I said, yeah, I know, that's not very good either. But I was literally <laughs> I was desperate, okay? I don't know if you've ever been in a desperate uh, position. So I made really a bad decision. I, I took three wood, right? And tried to hit this shot that I probably don't have out of a bad lie over Race Creek and try and stop it on the green, all that. Make a long story short, it came out like three feet high, went like a bullet, and uh, it was heading straight for Race Creek. And I'm going, oh, here we go, you know. Now you're gonna be, now you're gonna be seven or eight behind, not not six or whatever. 
And there used to be a little knob just before Ray's Creek on the left side. And it hit into that knob uh, before Ray's Creek, bounced up in the air, somehow bounced over Ray's Creek onto the front edge of the green. And then I made a 45-footer for Eagle or something. Wow. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, what a break. I mean, incredible. And then I birdied two more holes coming in, and now I'm two shots behind going into Sunday, and I have a realistic chance. If that ball goes in Race Creek, I'm going to make six at best, and I'm probably so ticked that I can't finish the next few holes either, and I'm going to be 10 behind or something like that. So <laughs> golf, golf is a crazy um, in that regard. And, and then another time, you know, same hole, like 13, which is my favorite par three in the world because it's, it's a beautiful hole and it's a risk-reward hole, and there's a lot going on. Uh, I hit a beautiful tee shot this time, and I had a two hybrid, and I crushed it just as good as I possibly can, straight at the flag. It felt good. I knew it was going to be good. And the ball climbed a little bit higher than I normally saw for a two hybrid, and it clipped a tiny, tiny twig, the very bottom inch of a twig that came up from hang hung down from a pine tree, and the ball went straight left 40 yards into the bushes, and I made seven. <laughs> Ball, so. <laughs> which hole was this? You just <laughs> sorry. Which hole was that? Thirteen again. again the okay. same R five round the corner. Um, you know, so stuff like that happens to us con constantly. I mean, when you play as much golf as we do, you have good breaks and bad breaks, and you just hope you have the, the good breaks when it really matters, when it's most important. Um, but you know, one crazy thing happened to me. Uh, that really changed my life. I won in 85 and uh, my first major, I was married for a year. Uh, I was happy. I was healthy. I was excited. I was actually ranked when the world rankings came out a few months later. I was number one in the world for a few weeks. I was playing great golf uh, around the whole country, uh, around the whole globe. I had everything going for me, but I, I had this emptiness inside of me after I won my first match. I'm going, wow, this is crazy. What is this? You know, you should be happy. You should be over the moon. You, should, you got everything going. You got a young, beautiful wife. You know, you're on top of the money list. You have houses, cars, bank accounts, on and on and on. And I, I couldn't pinpoint it. So I drove to Hilton Head, right, uh, next tournament. And Bobby Clampett was a friend of mine. We actually got confused many times. We didn't get confused. People confused <laughs> us. We, we, and many people, that, hey, Bobby, can I have your autograph? Or people came up to Bobby and said, Bernhard, can I take a picture with you? And we were always making fun of each other, you know, having a good laugh. Anyways, I played a practice round with him on Tuesday. And at the end of that day, he invited me to Bible study. I go, Bible study, really? Um what exactly did you guys do? I mean, I grew up in a church, but it was going through the motions more or less. And uh, so, well, we have a chaplain and we read a, a chapter of the Bible and, uh, you know, what the word of God means to us nowadays. So I said, well, I didn't commit. I said, well, maybe I'll come. And, and my wife and I came and make a long story short, we bought our own Bible. We researched, we studied. And through that encounter we became um you know officially born again christians what i just call christ followers 
I uh, just believe in Bible being the God's word and it changed my whole life. You know, everything I do the way I am as a husband, friend, father, uh, the way I treat anybody, it's really made a huge difference. Do you think that's why you have been um, on this, this worldwide tour for so long? I mean, I'm sure you get tired of hearing the oldest man to make the cut at the masters, which you did uh, at the age of 63 in November, but you, the, the, the whole of your career. And I can say from a personal standpoint, yes, I talked to you back in, in 93 at Butler cabin, but then a few years ago at uh, Trump national in, in Virginia, you know, I request an interview. You see my, see my face, you recognize a little bit, but a lot of guys could just say, you know what? I, I got things to do. What you did, you came out of a, you come, of course you were coming out of a post round workout in the trailer. Um, a lot of guys would just blow off somebody that they kind of recognize, whatever. But you've been, and same thing with Fred. Um, the 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 nicest people, um, just respectful. Um, so, do you think that um, you know your transition uh, is the reason that you're still playing at a high level today, and and the man you are today? I'm I'm sure it has a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, I my my life motto is treat everybody the way you'd like to be treated. The golden rule. And uh, so I often, when somebody is asking me for something or wants a favor, I'd say, well, if I was asking, how would I feel if I, you know, get turned down or whatever? So uh, that's just partially how I was raised, but that's also what the Bible teaches. Um, but, you know, longevity is you need good genes. You need to be healthy. Uh, and, hey, my good friend Fred Funk is a great example. You know, he wasn't always healthy, but... Uh, certainly had a very long and successful career. And uh, there have been, you know, several others before us, whether it was Sam Snead or, uh, or Hale Irwin or, you know, Tom Watson. Uh, a lot of uh, players just uh, have the ability to play great golf into their 50s and 60s. Hey, Chick, I, I have a story where we can share, um, or I'd like to share, uh, last year, Branson, uh, we had a, uh, what was that 11 days we were there in Branson? We rented yeah. a house. Couple and of it days. Was, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> we rented a house and it was Gene Sowers and Chris DeMarco and Marco Dawson and Bernhard and myself. And we're just having a great week. And I remember prior to getting to that week, uh, DeMarco and, and Marco, has never really spent a lot of time around Bernhard. And I said, just relax. I said, he's a great guy. You'll see he's just a normal guy. He just happens to be really, really good. But um, they said, okay, so sir, sir, about three to four days into the week, and DeMarco came up to me one day on the range, and he goes, man, Bernhard's awesome. And I go, yeah, I told you. I said, he's just a great guy. He's one of my best friends, dearest friends. And, and then Marco came up and says, I can't believe Bernhardt's such an easygoing, great guy. He says, I just thought he was a, this robot. And I go, nope, I thought the same thing. He's not, <laughs> he's, he's, he's an amazing guy to be around. I said, he just, he eats like a horse. He'll have wine, he'll have beer, he'll have ice cream. I said, he's just one of us. He just can beat us all pretty badly all the time. But uh, uh, Bernhardt, you, you, what's that? <laughs> no, your, your consistency is amazing. And I think, that's the one thing that people, if they don't appreciate it, they should. Um, what you've done throughout your career and how long you've been doing it and how well you do it and how well you carry yourself 
is is just an amazing example of how everybody should be. And and I love the fact even last year when you were the stories you had. Um, I think the Saturday you played with Rory, and then you played with Bryson on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Or in November, I guess it was in November. Yep. And uh, th- I mean, it, it doesn't bother you. You just go out there and you end up beating Bryson. Yes. Uh, uh, two shots or whatever. You just play your own game and you go out there and and your game is phenomenal. People say, well, how far has he hit it? And I go, well, he hits it a lot further than people give him credit for. He said, in this day and age, it's like when they were talking about Westwood and Chick and I talked about this. And I remember I followed uh, Sergio and Westwood during the match play the first round, I decided to go out and watch that day. And as the group I picked and it was great, but they're picking on Westwood not being long enough, but he has 173 ball speed. And I'm going, that's plenty long enough. I said, that's long enough to play and, and compete at any golf course in the world. So people, unless you can drive it like a Rory or a Bryson or Cameron champ or somebody like that, they think you're not long enough or Justin Thomas. And uh, that's not the, not the case. And, uh, you know, Bernard hits a beautiful ball flight. He's total control of the golf ball and his mind is super strong and everything else, but he's such a great guy, not only on the golf course, but off the golf course. And, and uh, especially off the golf course, he's, he, you're, you're an amazing human being and a great family. And I love being a, you know, just a, a great friend of yours and seeing what you do and, and love watching you still do it. Uh, even though you've beaten me a lot of times that, <laughs> Uh, uh, head to head, even when I was healthy, uh, a couple times that, that I thought I had you and I didn't have you. So, uh, anyway, thanks for that. <laughs> Here's a couple of master stories if you guys have time. Absolutely. So, uh, oh, yeah. A, a plate of practice round. This may have been 15 years ago or so when they read it, the, the whole golf course, when they made just about every hole longer and they brought the rough in, they planted the trees and all that. So, I was playing with Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and Gary Player. And I'm going, wow, this is cool, you know. So we're sort of in the middle of the round. And I, I had this thought, you know, Jack, you've won here six times or something. Um, what kind of irons were you hitting into the par fours? What was your longest iron you would ever hit into your par four in your prime? And he thought for a second, he goes, you know, that might have been an eight or nine iron. And I'm going, wow, yeah, you you were long, uh, you know, with a persimmon club and all that. And I knew he was long, but uh, that's basically what these guys are hitting into some of these uh, par fours nowadays, you know, driving it uh, 340, 50 or more. They they often just have an eight or nine iron, a wedge into the, into the greens. Um, it's just, we got left behind. Well. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah, that he would never need a five iron or six iron. You know, that was all he's ever hit. And uh, another story is, uh, again, I go back to 85, 1985, and I just won the tournament. They take me to Butler Cabin. Never been to Butler Cabin. You know, I heard about it, but had no idea. And I got, they told me, go sit down in this chair. And then uh, I think it was Jim Nance came in and and the uh, chairman of the club and, and uh, Jim asked a question like, so Bernhard, uh, you know, congrats. And were you watching the leaderboard today? And I go, well, you know, Jim, I, I learned the last few months watching the leaderboard really doesn't do a whole lot for me because if I see my name at the very top, then I start playing protective and defensive. and I want to protect my lead and, you know, bring it home. And that doesn't work. 
And if I see my name nowhere on the leaderboard and I know I'm eight or 10 shots behind, I'm not a happy camper either. Then I get kind of <laughs> down. So I'm going, it really didn't work for me watching leaderboards. So, but, but I said, but one time today after nine holes, halfway around, I had a glance over on, the, on that big leaderboard on 18 when I was walking to the 10th tee. And I, and I literally said, and Jesus Christ, I can't believe I was four shots behind Curtis Strange. And, uh, you know, to me at the time, that was just a powerful expression or whatever mm -hmm. I didn't talking about. And so I, I said, man, I'm, Jesus Christ, I'm four shots behind. I got to play aggressive coming home and all that. So, yeah, I told you I went to Hilton Head and then I played Houston as well because they wanted me to try and win three in a row since I won Hilton Head too. And I get home and I find stacks of letters. I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I'm going, wow, this is crazy. I got a lot of fans. They all want to congratulate me on my last two victories. And about three quarter of the letters were people writing me, who are you swearing on national television? Wow. And, uh, you know, that was an eye-opener, too, especially since wow. I just went to, to Bible study and a few weeks later became a Christian. Wow. But, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, I'll never know, um, other than to watch from, from, from afar. You played with Bryson uh, in November. Um, he, there's a great shot of him this week. VJ stopped by and watched him hit this. Now he's got this new driver. It's a 47, 48-inch driver this prototype that he's developed helped develop with cobra so from, from your standpoint and i know you have your own game to work to, to 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 worry about the first time you see on a t-ball him hit this ball what's your reaction uh when you see that ball take off you just don't believe what the ball's doing i mean i i played a practice round with him last june or whatever and then i played 18 holes with him uh, last year in november and the, the ball, I actually talked to him yesterday. He was two places away from me on the range for an hour or two. And, and uh, we have the same radar device thing. So I asked him a question about it. And uh, he goes, or I asked him, you know, what drive are you using now? Or what's the length in the loft? And he goes, this one is 45 inches and it's 4.25 loft. And I'm going, four degrees aloft, huh? He goes, yeah. And I kind of knew that. I heard that last year. But when you watch him, I mean, if I had a 40-degree driver, I would hardly get it airborne. Yeah. And yet you watch him, it takes off so high, and it doesn't come down. Uh, it, it goes into a different stratosphere, whatever you want to call it. If he would have a huge pine tree about 30, 40 yards in front of him, he would go right over it. it it's not in his way. The ball flight is so high. Uh, with that loft of driver and then you know the ball goes up there and it just keeps going and keeps going and uh you know i felt the same almost similar with rory last year i remember saturday i played with him and the very first hole he tees it up and we know the first hole little dog leg right the bunker there i can't even reach the bunker and he hits this beautiful shot and it's about two yards left of the bunker and I'm going, great shot, Rory, or whatever, you know. And, and he goes, get down, get down, get down. I'm going, what's he talking about? And sure enough, he was so far over the bunker and through the dog leg, he was actually in the left rough and under the trees. 
And I'm going, well, they're playing a different game. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. Right. It really is. That's amazing. And then Royce chasing, uh, he had an interview, does these great interviews and opens up and, and admitted that he was chasing Bryson's yardage a little bit, was trying to get more length, which he didn't need, and yeah. messed him up. And I just don't understand why Rory would even mess with his own game and with that driving game that he has. But uh, it just shows that even the best can get uh, get intrigued and uh, intimidated by what Bryson's doing. Yeah, I totally agree with you, though. As good as Rory was or is and will be, hopefully, uh, I mean, he hit the ball over 300 yards. If you can hit it that far, you know, what's another 20 yards? I, I don't think it really matters that much. And he was one of the straightest drivers, right? So, you know, who cares if you hit a 9-iron into green or an 8-iron uh, or maybe even a 7? That's not a – as long as you hit the fairways like Rory did for so many years – I totally, I mean, when I heard that, I was shocked. I could not believe he's trying to chase distance uh, at this point. So, Fred, I've done my research. You are correct. 12 Masters appearances for Fred Funk. Uh, you've <laughs> played the weekend four times. So, by my, by my Maryland math, that is 32 competitive rounds uh, during the Masters. Uh, your friend, this is his 38th Masters. He's played 128 uh, competitive rounds at Augusta National. Um, Bernhard tonight is the, the champion's dinner. Um, you have, you have hosted that dinner twice. Um, can you just take us inside that room and what that's like? It is the most, um, exclusive fraternity, uh, in the sports world, really. Yeah, I'd like to think so. It's very special for me, very unique. You know, when do you get, uh, so many of the whatever all-time greats or legends or whatever you want to call the best golfers in the world in one room and and we all have a good time you know there's no moaning or bitching going on everybody's happy to be a part of this group uh we know we're gonna have a nice glass of wine or uh, some good laughs together we're gonna have a great dinner and and we all kind of pinch ourselves and realize this is a pretty cool fraternity or whatever you want to call it to be a part of. And, and it's really starts off the week uh, in a, in a very special way. And it's funny to see how some of the, you know, the, the first time winners, they have to say a few words, right? They don't just have to pay for the dinner, which isn't cheap, but they have to <laughs> address all of us and say a few words. And it's funny how nervous some of them are, you know, because, uh, I mean, heck, they've given many uh, speeches around the country. Uh, they've lifted many trophies, uh, talked to the media constantly. But there's something about, you know, talking to your colleagues and, and realizing, hey, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. Uh, that that just uh, makes your hair stand up and makes you, uh, your voice quiver a little bit. And so it, it's it's cool. I mean, I've... I don't really think I've had a bad meal ever uh, in all the years I've participated. Um, the two dinners I served were first time around was a German dish. I had a wedding soup, which is like a chicken broth with two different kinds of dumplings. And then uh, the, the main course was sauerbraten, which is marinated beef. Uh, the beef is marinated in a sauce for three days. It's so tender, it, you know, you don't even need a knife. Mm -hmm. 
and we had some red cabbage and knödel and spätzle and all that German stuff with it. And then uh, black forest cake for dessert. So uh, it came over pretty good. And then the second time I, I served uh, Thanksgiving dinner, turkey and dressing. Uh, that's one of my favorite meals. Uh, not just It doesn't just taste good, but I felt like giving thanks as well. So, you know, I said I never had a bad meal. I have to take that back. When Sandy Lyle served haggis, I kind of pushed it back. <laughs> I tried that in Scotland and I didn't like it. So I knew what, what it was and I just pushed it aside. Oh, I've tried Hey, it. Bernard, who? Yeah, that stuff's not, ooh. You gotta get, I don't know, you never get used to that kind of food. But uh, who was the guy that commanded the room or some of the guys that would take over the room and tell either great jokes, great stories, and uh, everybody enjoyed, everybody was just, dead quiet when whatever this person or whoever this person was uh, started to uh, talk or tell a story? Well, there was actually most people, but Sam Sneed would always, you know, after the dinner was officially over, uh, some of us would just tell stories. So some of the older guys usually told stories about the masters, you know, what it was like 50 years ago. Or, and, and some of the young guys had no idea. Whoa, that's my grandson. Sorry about that. <laughs> <So good. laughs> uh, they would tell stories and they would tell jokes. And Sam's need was one to never hold back. So he always had a few. But uh, and, and many others. Gary Player was great. Ben Crenshaw. Uh, you know, Jack would say the odd thing. Uh, it just depends who, who was in a good mood at the time or who remembered something. But uh, one true story, the chairman always says a few things. So, so we have a spokesperson. It used to be Byron Nelson. And then when Byron uh, retired and passed away, then Ben Crenshaw took over. So they're at the head of the table, uh, the past champion or the defending champion, Ben Crenshaw, and then the chairman of the club. So those three will all address the rest of us. And uh, this one time, the chairman would say a few words like, you know, well, gentlemen, the course in great shape, the tournament's ready, you know, to uh, provide a great test. And uh, I'm sure you agree with me that, you know, it's awesome and may the best player win along those lines. And, uh, you know, if you guys have any suggestions or whatever, we always try to make it better and better. And sure enough, Arnold gets up, stands up out of his chair and says, Mr. Chairman, I, ha I have a suggestion. And the chairman says, yes, yes, uh, Arnold, what? What is it? And he, Arnold goes, well, you know, in the old days, they mowed half of the fairway away from us, from the tee box, and the other half was mowed into us. So you had a shiny and a dark, like the grain on the green. And uh, he said, you know, when you hit it on the right side of the fairway, just center of right, and it's lands down grain, the ball runs 40, 50, 60 yards. And if you hit it just a yard left into the dark shaded fairway, where it's mowed into us, the ball runs 10 yards or 20. And uh, that's just not fair. That's not not right. And and the chairman had his little notepad out and said, um, yeah, thank you, Arnie. I think uh, I think we can fix that. And uh, two days later, the whole fairway was mowed into us. And it has been since. <laughs> so it plays a lot longer because of that. Wow. Oh. No, there's another trick that people don't see. Um, a lot of the pine trees are leaning in and I don't know whether you've noticed that, but especially on number 11, uh, you'll see the branches on the inside of the golf course side 
are still on the tree and they shave the outside of the branches down or off and the whole trees just start leaning in. So not only are they really tall, they're not straight up. They're leaning in towards the fairway so that the fairways actually play a little narrower than they actually look uh, because of the way they just cut trees. I've never seen anybody do that with trees to make the trees lean in like they do at Augusta. That's a great observation. And they do it on many holes, like 18 and, uh, you know, many holes uh, that are that way. And it just uh, is intimidating. You know, you stand there and you got this 250-yard shoot and the trees are leaning in and the branches are leaning in. It makes it look more narrow than it actually is. So I'm wearing the... Yeah, it's almost... Go ahead. Go ahead, Jake. I'm, we're, I'm wearing ahead, the hat. Jake. Amen. It's Amen Corner. So take, take our listeners. We know 11 uh, is, is a beast, but... Sitting on 12 tee box, what are you, uh, we'll, we'll call it the Sunday back right pin. Uh, what are you thinking? It's not really back, but uh, what are you thinking on 12 tee? Well, it's one of the hardest, when it's windy, it's one of the hardest shots you'll ever uh, hit because you just, every 10 seconds, the wind different. And you really, you know, I've, I've seen players switch clubs six times uh, just because wow. you you stand there and you look to the left and you see the 11th screen, right? 50 yards away. Mm-hmm. And you look at that flag and it's blown right to left. Then you look at the 12th flag and it's blown left to right, total opposite. And you throw grass up and it's down and you look at the clouds and they're into you. And, you know, you, you try and find every trick possible to figure out what wind there is. And, and it's hard to figure out because the wind comes down, you know, 13 and hits the trees on 12 and then comes back at you. Or it comes down 11, hits the trees and comes back the other way. It, very, very difficult. And I've seen some of the worst shots on that hole for, I mean, it's 150 yards or whatever it is. It's nothing, you know, normally you'd say, yeah, make a birdie here or as often a birdie as you make par. But when you look at some of the scores, it's unbelievable. And, and one time I remember I was paired with Curtis Strange and uh, we were the same distance with the iron. So he, he was first to hit and he pulled out a seven iron and he flew it into the back bushes, never found the ball. So now I'm standing on that tee. I was thinking seven iron and, and I'm going, oh, that, that, that's so weird. Uh, so I'm, you know, so I'm taking an eight iron thinking, well, that's plenty of club. If his seven iron flew back there, that's, club and a half long so eight should be good and i hit the solid eight iron it came up short and that's just i don't know any other hole in the game of golf that is like that but you know your question was where do you go when the pin is back right and sometimes i think i've heard fred couples say you know i always have that feeling that that i try and gear the ball towards the flag so even though you play for the center of the green maybe you just last second, you kind of uh, try and make it fade in there. But a fade, it goes shorter and the green is angled to go away from you. So it's easy to come up short and go and race creek. And that's the difficulty about the hole. The green is angled. So if the pin is front left, it's shorter. And if you pull it, the pull always goes further than you're way over the green. And if the pin is on the right side of the green, you pull it, you go over, you cut it, you're too short. So you you got to be totally committed. And, you know, Nick, the green, a bunker behind the green. So if you don't hit the green, at least you're in the bunker and you're out in the water or in the bushes. And that may be the case. Just add one thing before uh, 
we'll let Bernhardt go and get, get going for his week. But, uh, you know, you don't realize at 13 how much that ball's above your feet or on 15 when you lay up and how steep that hill is or how far left you need to go on the layup shot on 15 to get a flatter lie and uh, make that wedge shot a little bit easier. But there's just all these little idiosyncrasies of the golf course that you've got to learn, and it's genius how they came up with it. Just like you're saying, the angle on 12 is amazing. Um, how you can play 11 safely and use that hill to the right and roll it down the green if you really – you got to stay away from that left lake. And bailing out where Larry Mize chipped in um, – yeah, that was a smart play, and Larry's one of the best chippers in the game, so it's pretty amazing uh, shot that he did to win uh, against Greg. That was, you know, Greg was <laughs> – he, he had a hard time finishing off that tournament. He couldn't get it, get it done, but uh, it, it, amazing place to play. Um, just, just – I think it's just the best tournament atmosphere in all the golf. Uh, the only one that rivals it, I think, is the British Open. Uh, or the Open Championship, if you want to call it that. But uh, uh, the fans over there are really great. The fans at Augusta are, are awesome. But playing Augusta National is and the Masters is just an amazing play. So, Bernard, I can't thank you enough for your time. And um, go out there and just have a great week. Hope to see you next week at, at the Chubb. And uh, come back home with the third jacket. Yeah, thanks, Fred. I'll see you in Naples. I enjoyed it. Chick, all the best. And uh, have a great week, you guys. You Take too. care. You too. Thanks, thanks for your time. Yeah, welcome. Appreciate Bye. It. Thank you, Bernhard. Bernhard Longer, two-time champion, uh, owner of the Green Jacket there in Augusta National. That is phenomenal, Fred. That's so cool. Um, you know, he's just a, he's a heck of a, a, a person first uh, and golfer. Just it's it's insane what he's been able to do here. As I said before, oldest man to make the cut at 63 years old at Augusta National when they keep making this course harder and longer. Um, and this week, as we said at the top of the show, um, I mean, the, the, these guys, and Bernard said it, the, the green is not green. It's now a little brownish purple. <laughs> this thing is going to be lightning, and it's going to be interesting to see like a guy like Bryson DeChambeau who bombs it. He will have shorter clubs. Into that, which might give him a, a slight advantage, uh, but the defending champion's not too bad either off the tee in D Dustin Johnson. No, not at all. But I think the one thing, the key ingredient, uh, even though they say Augusta is a pretty open driving golf course, it's still a position off the tee, but the number one thing is controlling your distance with your irons because you have to be on the level that the green or that the pin is at on to make your putting reasonable so that you have a chance of making putts. If you're not on the same level, it puts you on defense on every hole where you're just trying to two putt a lot of times and just get out of there and not do much damage to your round. When you get out of position, whether you're on the green or off the green, there's places where you miss the green and you have no chance of getting up and down and other places where absolutely, you know, where you can and have a good shot at getting up and down. Uh, but, uh, you know, I talked to Larry Mize, great iron player. When he won, uh, he was controlling his distances on, on like, just number one. You got the pin in the back, and you, you're on the very front. You're putting up that hill. It's hard to judge that speed. If the pin's in the front and you're a little bit long, it's I putted it into the bunker, and I knew I was going to put it into the bunker <laughs> on one. I was, with, I was with Mark one day, and uh, whatever round this was, whatever year it was, and I was go, Mark, 
I can't stop this ball. If I don't hit the hole, it's in a trap. He goes, yeah, you're right. Get the good speed, you know, hit the hole. And I missed it and I went in and I, and Mark already had the sandwich in his hand. And, <laughs> and I mean, it's embarrassing at times, but uh, firm conditions, no matter where we're playing, uh, whether it's the Masters, it's Hilton Head or any golf course we go to, that's when the best players in the world lose control where the ball is going to stop. Right. Um, and it has a run out factor to it. So you have an intangible thing you got to factor in. Uh, the scores go way up. The course may play shorter, but it's so much more difficult to control where the ball is going to stop and give, give yourself um, chances at birdies. It'll be a lot tougher, especially on those greens at Augusta. They're treacherous greens. And uh, they, you just go one after another. You just go, wow, this course just doesn't let up, right, buddy. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's fun. I watched the girls this week. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I actually watched the, uh, the whole thing. I just, I was sitting there going, I can't believe I'm watching this whole thing. I have other things I wanted. I wanted to go play golf that day. So I'm going to see how this ends. Right. And everybody was having a, a debacle coming in. Uh, they just couldn't help it. It was either three putting. Uh, a couple of girls hit number 11 and two and they three putted and gave a shot away. Uh, the one girl, I can't remember all their names, mm -hmm. but the one girl made an eight on yeah. 13 yeah. and thought she was totally out Rose of it. Van, three yeah. holes later, Rose she's Van, right yeah. back in it again. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's what happens at Augusta. And that's what makes it so exciting. It's, it's a golf course where the back nine, uh, even with the added length, like you're saying, you can hear the cheers. It, it gives you opportunities for, um, you know, 13 and 15 to make Eagles, uh, 12 is exciting. You hear the roars of great birdies, but you hear the moans of the ones that go into Ray's Creek. Right. Um, and then, then 14 is that kind of that middle hole with where Cali, you just, you're trying to get by that hole. It's just one of those you got to get by. Mm -hmm. And then 16 great part three, again, where you can feed it down to the hole, the chip in the tiger did oh. phenomenal. A lot of guys almost make hole in ones there with that left pin using the bank. Uh, but if it stays up there on the right, you're dead. And then those right pins on 16 are brutal. Yeah. And then, and then 18. So it just has all these great holes and great things and drama that happens. The theater that happens there is amazing. So, uh, I look forward to a great week. I hope mother nature lets, uh, the human side of setting up the golf course, um, yeah, even though they can change it, they can suck the water out of the greens. They can do all sorts of stuff mm -hmm. at Augusta to make it play uh, the way they want it to. But Bernhard was a great interview. Oh. Uh, he, he was so open and uh, he had the perfect hat. It says, you know, I know it's Amen's corner, but boy, if anything parallel with uh, Bernhard's story right. of, of uh, winning his first Masters without being a believer and his second Masters when he was a believer and he's, it completely changed his life. Mm -hmm. And the way he carries himself is just truly the way I wish the world would be. Yeah. You just, you want to, he treats people the way he, you would love to be treated. And I think people thought that way more, uh, it would be a, a much more fun place. But, um, I think the one thing that the game of golf, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, yeah. but it's a humbling sport. And I think a lot of the guys are been humbled so badly or so well, whichever way you look at it with golf, mm -hmm. because golf is so hard, the ups and downs of, of the game and the, the craziness of the game parallels life in a lot of ways. You have days that you just can't understand why they're so good. And you have days on the golf course 
why is it so bad? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it just parallels that. And, uh, and you got to figure out your way to get through it. And whether you're a recreational player or, or the best in the world, you're, it's a game that just captures you. And, and, um, uh, you, you know, you never really get away from it. You're thinking about it all the time. How can I go out there and just be a little bit better right. and, and not do some stupid stuff. So, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, guys perform this week. I think there'll be, there's always going to be the guys that are playing great. It's going to be interesting who and the guys, who are the guys that are not going to handle, mm-hmm. uh, the conditions of Augusta this week. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting, but I think it'll be great. We have such a great young crop of players and we still have the, you know, the guys, uh, like Freddie shows up and he just, he's magical at Augusta. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernard still plays well. Uh, Larry Mize had a great start in November. Great start yeah. in November. Uh, Sandy Lyle did too. So some of our Champions Tour guys that are there every year, it's, it's awesome to watch. So it'll be a great week. Um, it's the dinner tonight, Champions Dinner. They say they're going to leave a chair open, uh, empty for Tiger Woods, who's recovering from his injuries uh, back home in Florida. Um, when you played, did you ever make it a point to come out for the ceremonial tee off? Um, I, I asked the question because this year Jack will be there, uh, again, Lee Elder, uh, will be teeing off as well. That's going to be a, a monumental moment, um, uh, for Lee and obviously the golf world when it comes to, uh, you know, recognizing diversity and what guys meant to the game. When I was a young reporter, I made a point of being out there laying on my belly elbows on the grass head and hands underneath everybody's legs watching the ceremonial tee and my three guys byron nelson sam sneed gene sarazen are you kidding me i mean are you kidding me sarazen in his knickers i mean ridiculous when i look i i, I think yeah. even at that moment i would try to take in what it what was going on and to to watch the faces around uh, that first tee box and see watching history. Um, and that's, you know, now we see Jack and, and Gary player and you, you feel that kind of same thing. Um, did, did you ever, did you ever, when you played, make a point of watching these guys? I, I did during those, those first early years when I won my first event in 92, uh, 93 was my first, um, Augusta. Mm-hmm. And I watched that. And, uh, and then I never did when, when, uh, it got to be Arnie and Jack mm-hmm. and them, I, I was just, never got there either early enough or I was, I was over on the range. I was doing whatever I was doing, but, uh, yeah, that the Sarah's in here and yeah, amazing. Uh, it's a special, special event. The part three contest is a blast. It's a blast to have the part three contest. It's so fun over there. Did you play in that? Uh, uh, every year I would not who ca- miss it. Did Mark, who it. caddy for you? Did you have your regular caddy? I had Mark. I, I had my son caddy. Okay. I had friends caddy. That's that's one you just. My had Taylor caddy when he was probably eight or nine. Uh, he was a little dude, right. and uh, he had the you know the caddy uniform Absolutely. on. It's just sl- sleeves hanging down to his <laughs> knees, and, the, <laughs> and it was all rolled up. It was hilarious. But uh, I do have pictures of that. I don't have the pictures of the Arnie. Jack did. Yeah, you need, to, you, need but, to, you need to figure something out about that. Um, the greatest uh, par three caddy uh, event or story will be Jack's grandson uh, two years ago taking the yeah. tee shot there and making the hole in one. Just insane. Uh, Bedlam. I'll do one one more story, which was my first year uh, couples wins. I'm in Butler cabin waiting on Fred 
and Freddie, and I have a question. My first, it's my only question, really. It's it's and it's going to involve using a word that I'm not sure the Green Jackets are going to appreciate. So I'm debating whether or not to say this word. And Fred comes in and he sits down. And I had, you know, I think I had met Fred a few times earlier in the week, uh, both on the course and um, out at night, uh, sharing a beverage. So I'm sitting in the, uh, in the, you know, the chair. And Fred walks in, and you know, there's a, there has to be somewhere in the neighborhood of five, six green jackets, you know, guys I would never ever hang out with. They would never invite me anywhere, right? So I'm just there in the background. And Butler Cabin is is. While it looks great on TV, it is a it's a shack. It's a small little room. There are behind the cameras, chairs are pushed. There's drapes everywhere. At least that's the way it was. So he sits down and they go, are you ready? Everybody ready? Yep. Okay. All right. Here with the Masters champion, Freddie Couples. And Fred, I just have one question for you. How in the hell did that ball stay up on 12? At which point I see the green jackets, they straighten up like, uh oh. And Fred, to his credit, goes, well, shit, chick, I don't know. That that makes no sense. When he said shit, that trumped hell, I was in. I was golden. And I was like, this is perfect, you know. And I, I don't know if Fred knew it or not, but it let me off the hook. Uh, and it started the interview, and it was it was awesome. But it's, I'll never forget it because I just remember the sweet sweat beads coming off my forehead debating, do I say hell here in Butler Cabin? Do I do that? Yeah, I'm going to do it. And then he said shit. And I'm like, right, perfect. You got it. How did that stay up, though? That was that's amazing. That's a ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think any other ball has ever stayed up. Um, and believe me. And so my three years uh, there, I got a chance to play Augusta National um, three times. 88, 104, 83 were my three scores. I played the first year right-handed. In the next two years, I made the switch to lefty. Um, and my claims to fame are one under through amen corner for the three rounds, which includes, by the way, a double on 12 that's why i asked for bernhardt about 12 i remember that tee shot and thinking mm-hmm. what's the big deal what's the big deal it's 150 yards and hitting the ball and going oh that has no chance that's standing up in the air and it's coming backwards it's coming at me this is not good pop right in the water it was ridiculous but yeah um all right fred look man that was a great get with uh bernhardt longer great to talk with him just spectacular i i you know i think i think he'll still be the oldest man to make the cut uh, this year. So he's played it in November, a uh, tie for 29th. And now he comes back this week uh, in, uh, by all accounts in, in good spirits and getting ready for what should be a special week. Will you be buried by your TV watching this? Yeah, I usually don't miss uh, Augusta coverage. Uh, this one, I, this is the one week I make sure I'm in front of the TV. We can see every shot, by the way, uh, with online stuff. I'll have, I'll have five screens going. You can see every single shot. And my wife thinks, do you not get enough golf? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I want to see everything. I want to see the double, the albatross from Louis Oosthuizen on two. I want to see all of that. And I want to, I want to, I want it right now. And that's the beauty of what Augusta national and CBS uh, and, and uh, I guess uh, the, the uh, platforms have done is provide wall to wall coverage. It's going to be spectacular. Yeah, you mentioned uh, it will be spectacular. You mentioned uh, Bernhard Spears. He didn't mention um, after Tucson, he left for Germany, and he was going for two weeks because his knee has been bothering him uh, for about a year now. And he has this guy uh, over there, Norbert, and he's a kind of a naturalist. So they did uh, like prolozone or prolotherapy or whatever. Mm-hmm. He doesn't use any real drugs. It's uh, sugar water or 
salt water, whatever it is. And, um, he was planning just two weeks of getting treatment and, and Norbert said he needed three. I didn't even know he went over until I talked to him the other day. And, uh, he spent three weeks over there to get his knee and his knees feeling a lot better. So, uh, he doesn't let on when he's injured. Uh-huh. Um, and his knee has been bothering him for a while. And the only guys that would know that were guys that were going in the fitness truck to, to see maybe he was getting therapy on it, but he didn't let people on, right, on that. Right. So he's feeling a lot better and that that's good. Uh, he can go out there and handle those hills. I think, um, the, the one guy, uh, Kepka, we're wondering about his knee. So well, I have no idea. That's the amazing thing is he's not even talking about his golf. It's he's talking about scouting the course on where to walk. You know, he says uphill, really, is, he says uphill is difficult down or is it, I forget which one it is. It, I think it's actually it's downhill. Downhill is downhill more downhill difficult. Stiff. And he's, he's scouted the course on where to walk. He goes, golf is fine because I can go full bore 100%. It's where to walk on the course. So that's what they did uh, on Monday was to scout where to walk, which is just phenomenal. You're, you're playing in a major. And he says, I don't come here to finish second. So he's coming out to try to win this thing. But he's got to worry about where he's walking, you know. And yeah, they're going to call it the Kepka Trail. <laughs> I like it. if he wins. If he wins, there if will he wins. be the Kepka Trail for sure. Hi, <laughs> right, Fred. Great uh, catching up with you. We will uh, adjourn again next week with Terps on the T. We'll figure out what happened in the Masters. We got Dustin Johnson trying to repeat. We've got Bryson DeChambeau in his new driver, and can he beat the course down? I don't think so. After hearing what. Uh, Bernard said about those greens and perhaps it's another Cinderella story like a Danny Willett uh, to come out of the woodwork somewhere and just have one hell of a week. That's always a great story too. Um, I will see you next week. Uh, We'll figure out what happened um, and uh, enjoy your, your four days of couch sitting and watching a lot of golf. You got it. I can't wait. And uh, chick, I'll see you. I'll talk to you as the week goes. We'll talk about next week and, and what happened this week about, what we'll talk about next week and we'll get it going. That the is, story will just evolve. That's the beauty of <laughs> the masters four rounds of sheer hell on a lot of players. And I can't wait. That is Terps on the T. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.